Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. The guests that we have on provide such a wonderful insight into why we listen to these true crime podcasts, even why we talk about true crime. But real quick, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about you and how you're doing. How are you? Thanks for asking, Lance. I'm doing great. And I'm excited to uh, share this conversation that we had with Professor Melissa Tackett Gibson. She is a professor at the School of Public Affairs at the University of Colorado, Denver. And we met her at Obsessed Fest in October of 2022 when she approached us at the meet and greet and started speaking about a survey that she was doing that was trying to get some data on true crime podcast listeners. And her approach is really interesting because she herself is a fan of true crime podcasts. She's a huge fan of the Obsessed Network shows. I mean, she's an even larger fan, obviously, of our shows. And she's approaching it from those two perspectives. Someone who is performing a survey as a professor at the University of Colorado and someone who's a fan. And she understands both avenues in discovering why this is such a cultural phenomenon. And the early data that she's receiving is really interesting. And we're definitely going to have her back on to discuss that data when the survey is complete. But you can take this survey. And in fact, we encourage you to. There is a link in the show notes. It's always fun to take surveys. It takes maybe 10 minutes of your time. Give it some thought and answer honestly. And we're going to get some really interesting data back. And if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a QR code that is in the corner there. Feel free to scan that with your phone and that will link you directly to the survey as well. And as good as this episode is, it does have ads. So if you are thinking about listening to this without the ads, I would direct you to my partner here, Tim. Tim, where can our listeners go? Crawl Space Premium is the answer, Lance. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts or at crawlspace.supportingcast.fm. For just $4.99 a month, you get bonus shows, a weekly bonus show, plus ad-free episodes, every single episode ad-free. And Tim, I've had 100 or so people come up to me and ask me if we wanted to stay up to date with everything that your shows have going on, where can we follow you on social media? Well, Lance, that thoughtful crowd of people can follow us on social media at crawlspace podcast or crawlspace pod and before we get to professor melissa tackett gibson we're going to break for our sponsors real quick stick around thanks to our sponsors and now we're back to the program Welcome to the podcast, Melissa Tackett Gibson. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. My goodness, you appreciate it. We appreciate you and the work that you're doing, which we'll get into in a little bit. I really want people to know how we met and why you're on the show now. We met at Obsess Fest. Yes. A great time at Obsess Fest. Just loved being there. Loved hearing everyone. I actually had to, to to meet you guys that morning at your meet and greet. I woke up late, so I had to get an Uber and rush over there. And I think I got your last 10 minutes of the meet and greet. So it was uh, good to talk to you all. We're doing a project, uh, a study of true crime podcast listeners. So I wanted to make sure that I got to see you. And, and introduce you to the project. And we'll get to the project because it's fascinating and super helpful and productive. And it addresses a lot of 
elements that come along with the true crime podcasting genre. But anyway, before we talk about that, I just want to say it's it's the middle of November, towards the end of November. When was Obsessed Fest? The end of September? End of September. Yeah. We're still having guests on from that event. I just listened to to Christopher's podcast with you all. And yeah, it's, it's it was just such a great time. I'm glad you brought up Christopher, Chris, Chris Walker from Disappeared, right? Right. If we hadn't have met him at Obsessed Fest... We wouldn't have had him on the show. We wouldn't have been introduced to the Pepita Red Hair disappearance. We oh. wouldn't have had Anita King, her mom, on the show. And that case just might go away out of the public's eye if those connections didn't happen. Same with you. Yeah, those networks are so important. And I think what was so fun about being there and good about being there is that we were able to to meet the creators and you guys are doing this. I, I think it was one of you who said at one of the large panels, people think that we're out and about, but we're doing all this research, you know, at home. I don't know if that was one of one of you guys that made kind of a joke about that, but to see the sincerity and to know that you guys are doing all this work and so on is everyone was so sincere there. We do use crime as entertainment and that's just kind of the fact of the of the genre to see creators that are sincere and not just entertaining but also really trying to make a difference and help people that was something to really that I really got out of Obsess Fest which was really really important it's not just about building a fandom and and making money i mean the folks that were there were really genuinely invested in trying to help people well, now you tell us it's not about fandom and money. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's, uh, if you could, please tell us about what you do at the University of Colorado in Denver. I'm actually an assistant professor on the teaching track, which means my primary responsibility is to teach courses. And I teach criminal justice. Um, my degree's in sociology, but kind of fell into criminal justice through a, a research position I had when I was younger and started teaching criminal justice and really love it. In fact, Right now, I'm, I'm in Atlanta for the American Society of Criminology meeting. So there are about, I don't know, 3,000 of us here uh, in Atlanta presenting work and networking. And it's just been a, it's a really fun time. So it's been a, a fun ride. Wow. Yeah, very cool. That sounds like a great conference to go to. I'm almost offended that we weren't asked to be speakers, Lance. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, Obsessed Fest beats it by a mile. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> no drag brunch. No drag brunch. No karaoke with Ellen. Yeah, no, none of that. None of that. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit more stodgy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, does, it sounds edu educational nonetheless. Yeah, it, it's really quite fun. When it's time to kick back a little bit at, at the criminology conference, do you talk about like current crime cases with some of your peers? No, normally we just um, complain about work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is funny. Uh, I gave a little presentation here. A couple people came up and they were talking about true crime. And both of them said, well, I just can't listen. You know, this is what we do all day. I can't listen to any of it. So there is a bit of a dark humor. But at the same time, it's sometimes you kind of have to draw a line and, and stop. <laughs> That's actually a good point to make and something that Tim and I were talking about before we got on this interview with you. And I guess it's as good a time as any to bring it up. We were taking the survey that you had sent and 
I really had a hard time separating myself from listening to guests coming on the show talking about their situations or their experiences with crime and like a listening point of view. In the survey, there are some questions about when you listen, do you feel like this? Or because you've listened, do you now do this? And it's not because I listen to true crime podcasts. It's because I have listened so much to people who have experienced these things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm there are just so many nuances to all of these questions, you know, and, and we did ask in the survey why people listen. And it is a survey where we have to follow up with some focus groups later and kind of tease that out a little bit more. I feel like we asked the question of why do you listen? And, and now we just have more questions about why you listen. How does it help you relax? That didn't tell me anything, you know, and so I'm writing these questions and, and I think, oh, this will be really exciting and and we'll really get to know something about this. And then we get the answers and it's like, well, now I'm just more confused than I was <laughs> before. And, you know, I, I listened to podcasts, too, and I felt that, oh, I just feel so relaxed. The voice of the podcaster or something, you know, kind of the production value can kind of lull you in. And um, I really haven't thought about you know, well, why, why do I get relaxed by that? And should I be relaxed by that? Right? <laughs> These are horrific stories. And that's something we found when we pre-tested the survey was that listeners are conflicted. They are ambivalent about their participation in a genre that uses victim stories to, I mean, to much more of an extent than others, but uses victim stories to entertain rather than to potentially help or provide some kind of advocacy. There is this kind of self-criticism among listeners even. Is this okay for us to enjoy? Would you go so far as to say that there are some people who will self-shame because they feel relaxed? Have you seen that, that people go even further instead of saying that, they're self-critiquing, but they're actually kind of shaming themselves, too. On the survey, we do ask, have you ever felt guilty for listening to true crime podcasts? We just uh, launched it on Saturday, and that was a new question we added. So I've not really looked at that yet, but there are people who have reported, yeah, they feel guilty. And then on some of the message boards we're promoting through Reddit and through Discord, you do kind of see that. Um, I remember one listener had said on, on the Reddit board, I keep trying to get away and find another podcast genre that I like um, because I really need to kind of stop listening to this. So you do find a little bit of that. Now, there's a, a criminologist who did media studies and she, and she said, Nicole Rafter, and she said, we live in a state of happy hypocrisy when we consume crime media, that we know there's something icky about doing it, but it serves such an important function that we still kind of come back to it, right? It helps us protect ourselves. It helps us affirm what's right and what's wrong and how you treat people. It helps us come to terms with some sense of justice or what justice is, you know, so there's this kind of happy hypocrisy that we ride. It still serves such a function. We can't quite, you know, pull away. Happy hypocrisy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am thoroughly a happy hypocrite. Yeah. No, it, it like clicked in my brain when you said that. It is, it, to it makes total sense. She's written a really great book called Shots in the Mirror, and it's about crime film, kind of a sociological analysis of representation and, and different crime films, which is which is pretty fun. Very cool. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So what is the survey trying to accomplish? Well, it's really interesting. I started the survey. I teach a research methods course. And part of the research methods course for undergraduates is that I ask them to write a survey 
And I, I did survey construction for quite a long time and, and my other job. I just geek out on writing surveys. It's, it's just a real trip. And so I had my students writing a survey and one of my students asked me, she was a podcast listener and, and she said, well, you what you listen to podcasts. How would you write a podcast survey? Well, I just started doing that in the class and then we would kind of test each other's surveys and had the students take it and we refined it a little bit. And I have a student now who's working with me on that, that was in that class. And so that really kind of started it is that I became interested again in true crime podcasts. I really couldn't listen to crime or consume crime when my kids were young because I was talking about it all the time in the classroom, but my kids are older now. So I started listening to podcasts. One of the things is it's probably a little self-serving, right? Self-indulgent in that I really am trying to explore too. Why do I enjoy this? And what is it about women in particular? You know, I, I am the demographic that listens to the podcast. I'm the middle-aged, middle-class white woman with a four-year degree or more, right? That's the listening group that you guys are tapping into. And that's me. So part of it is just why, you know, why do I love Patrick so much, right? Like, why <laughs> do I love, why do I just love this? And, and the dateline, I'm, I'm forgetting what the host is on Dateline, but his voice is just amazing. Keith Morrison. Keith Morrison, right. The one that Patrick keeps saying is is actually dead. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the project really is a little self-indulgent, but then we started to think about, again, kind of what function is it serving? True crime has been around for ages and it's been consumed for ages, whether it's been through newspaper or comics or you know, television shows, it's been um, forever. And so what is this? And I know podcasting isn't new, but what is this new type of media doing? And how is it functioning in women's lives? So that's really kind of the goal. And so in the survey, we look at how much people listen, why they listen, any kind of behaviors that they have adopted since listening, the relationships and attachment do you contribute, join Patreons? Do you go to conventions? You, you know, things like that. And then some self-protective behaviors. Uh, what have you done to protect yourself since listening? Um, and then attitudes towards police, the courts, and justice. So that's kind of basically the organization of the survey. And um, we have to kind of dive into the, those specific categories pretty deeply at some point once we get enough data. And then we want to follow up with focus groups. A survey can't tell you everything. And in fact, it's raising more questions. You brought up the demographic that listens. That's, that's interesting. You said you are that demographic. Right. We have a lot of people who come on who talk about their missing daughter or son. And I'd say that the majority of the ones that, that we have on come from communities that already have violence in the fabric of their community. Right. Right. Maybe it is your demographic because I'm assuming you didn't come from a community that, that has a lot of violence. Now it does. I grew up in West Virginia and, and so the opioid epidemic, but not while I was growing up. No. Right. So is it something that is in somebody who hasn't experienced it? So it's sort of a vicarious way to experience it? I think that vicariousness is really important. I think, too, we found both in the pretest and in this, some of the early data, 60 percent of the women uh, who, well, and the men, I mean, we have nine men, 200 and 250 responses right now. We have nine men. So it's predominant. It's almost exclusively women. But 60 percent are reporting some kind of abuse whether that's a violent attack, um, domestic violence or sexual assault. 
So we have a really high rate of not just women, but women who've experienced some type of aggressive violent crime. So I do think there is a way of uh, owning maybe owning that experience, working through that experience by listening to other stories, becoming more empowered by these other stories. I, I wonder if that's not part of it. And and we do hope to kind of get at that in, in the focus groups. Wow. Now, does that percentage, do you think that reflects all women or women who are true crime podcast listeners specifically? Uh, it's It's higher than the national average. It's also kind of hard to know. There's a survey called the National Victimization Survey. 60% is very, very high. Part of it is underreporting too. Maybe we're just getting a really honest group. Right. Yeah, I'm wondering that because it's an anonymous survey, right? Right. Well, the National Crime Victimization Survey is too, and it tends to be considered kind of the gold standard of information on self-reports of victimization. I've just I've just not looked at that recently. I did to construct the survey, but I've not looked at their data. But yeah, we're higher or so far it, it's higher. Recently on Missing, we have started to cover cases that aren't specifically missing people that are still missing, but people that were missing and found and the circumstances around that. That's part of the process too. And that's kind of related to what you're saying as well, which is some of these listeners have experienced violence in their life and they right. feel empowered when they hear a story. So it's empowering to them, you said, by going into the past of somebody who was a victim, whatever the circumstances happen after that, I think is really important to study. Yeah. And victims are more likely than non-victims, listeners, uh, people who've been victimized. They're more likely to report that they listen in order to remind themselves to protect themselves and to trust their gut. If that's one of the things, I mean, podcasts are serving a function to other victims too, right? To other people, not just to the victims that you might be talking about in a specific story or a particular narrative. But again, I mean, I can't say definitively what's happening, but you're serving the needs of other people who've been victimized as well. Not necessarily sure. I can, you know, I can speculate on what those needs might be, but I think that's important for the industry to, to remember, even if it's a story with a tragic ending, for some reason, people who've had similar experiences are drawn to this, drawn to this genre. It must be a positive draw right? Or they wouldn't continue to choose to, to come back and hear. But, but yeah, I think this idea of adopting self-protective behaviors, we, we looked at that and we still have a lot more analysis to do on that. Um, but at first glance, it looks like victims are um, more likely to adopt some self-protective behaviors. People who've not experienced victimization are also adopting self-protective behaviors. And by that, I mean, they're maybe buying pepper spray or, uh, you know, a screamer, or they're taking a self-defense class, or they're um, adjusting their routines and not going to specific places. I laugh all the time because Ellen and uh, Joey have a joke now that you put a vase by the door and you kick it so the police will actually investigate if you've been kidnapped. <laughs> There's just this subtle way in which podcasts do help 
listeners remind, particularly women, remind themselves that this is how you make sure your case is investigated. This is what you do if you're fearful for someone else. And so it's, it's serving both sides. And maybe that's why happy hypocrisy is important. You're serving your audience in as much as you're serving the, the people um, who've been victimized and the stories that you highlight. Yeah, well, personally, I love learning through through comedy, through, uh, you know, if I can if I can laugh like that, that's a great point that Ellen and Joey made. And that I'm sure right. they delivered it in a very funny way as well. It could also help people. Right. How have you found in, in the research so far, if there's if there's enough of it to draw more conclusions, how have you found that podcast media differs from TV and other forms of uh, media? I'm still thinking through that. I think one thing is that podcasts in general, you can more passively participate in, not that you can't passively participate in a television show. You can clean your house, you can drive to work, you can do something else while you're listening to a podcast. So there is this kind of comfort and having a voice and having um, relationships. I, I mean, I, I really do believe listeners, I mean, we saw that Obsessed Fest, right? Listeners build relationships with creators and you guys might not ever know that that relationship exists, but people become very comforted and attached and it becomes, you know, this pseudo friendship that becomes really important. And so I think that's part of it. That's different than TV. And it's often because in a podcast, people are sharing more of their personalities and fears and interests. And it's just a more personal type of media. I think those relationships are important in a way that they're not with TV. And then we know that there's a theory presented by a communications professor called cultivation theory. And cultivation theory has argued that the media and media consumption has traditionally increased the fear of crime. The more you watch TV, the more you read news, the more fearful of crime uh, people generally are. And then the more conservative they tend to be in terms of criminal justice policies, because they're afraid of the criminal. So they want harsh punishment. They want long sentences. They want deportation for migrant workers and immigrants, right? Um, so that becomes really, really harsh. Again, at, at like first blush, that podcast listeners are less fearful of crime, not more fearful of crime related to the amount that they consume. Right. So the more you consume podcasts, the less fearful of crime you actually are. That's tentative. I don't, you know, I don't know that's going to hold true in the end, but it seems like it's flip flopping what was happening, what happens with TV and news. And that podcasts about crime might be reducing fear of crime, not increasing fear of crime. That might have something to do with this ownership of, you know, women who've experienced victimization, kind of using it for this empowerment. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And I think that it's a bit 
unfair for anybody to include podcasting in this genre into what you've seen on the evening news or political rhetoric about immigrants and, you know, violence in America. It's all there. You know, like I'm not trying to get political with this comment, but podcasting about true crime, at least the ones that we have associated ourselves with, the creators that we've associated ourselves with, are not doing the whole if it bleeds, it leads thing. It's not the evening news. It's not the first five things before the weather are all awful stories. Right. This is advocacy. This is education. It's entertainment. And it's all delivered in a package that I think most of us try to wrap up with a nice responsible bow like Patrick and Jillian and the whole obsessed network yeah you're gonna laugh but you're gonna learn too and you're going to that entry into it is the laughter and then you walk out saying like that was a total package of education that I enjoyed and there's empathy and I think that's what you don't get in a newspaper or in the nightly news and it's part of the genre you can't have someone writing for the Washington Post you know and in a way that really shows that kind of empathy there's supposed to be an impartiality there an objectivity or at least an appearance of objectivity. I think you do get that human element in a podcast that you don't, you don't necessarily in other places. I'm surprised to hear that. Maybe I shouldn't be. It sounds like Lance isn't surprised at all to hear that. And is is it because it's that, that just that personal connection and you're not, you're just, you're not stoking fear in the same way. You know, you're almost like hanging out with your friends and hearing about a story that could help you. I mean, there are some, maybe I'll, I'm changing the frame a little bit, um, but my mind kind of went in a different direction. There are some downsides, right, to true crime podcasts. I mean, one is that crime is lower now than it was in the 70s. So uh, I was born in 68. I was at more risk of being a victim of crime in the 70s than I am now. And that's across the board. So even if we say, oh, crime is high in New York or Baltimore or Chicago, it's still lower than it's been since the 90s, dramatically lower since it's been during the 90s. And one thing about podcasts that, and I'm not critical of it, because these stories um, are often told and they're historic, right? Like we go back and we dig in the past. It almost makes it seem like crime is occurring all the time because that historicity gets lost. If I were to say, you know, well, what is maybe one of the negative things about podcasting is that it does kind of contribute to the sense that crime is more prevalent than it actually is. But so does TV. So does film. So does news media. Right. We just that's our culture. We like consuming crime a lot. That's a really interesting point. Sometimes when when we're just like talking about maybe a friend or or something like that casually and it's like, when did they go missing? Because that's all we talk about. Right. (laughs) When when we introduce a story or a person like they they go missing. That's what happens uh, later in the story. I just want to interject real quick before I lose this point. Tim, you said that it felt like I felt differently about that. And that is because of something that you say a lot, which is when we have guests on, it's different than some like couple four or five minute clip that they'll see on the news where you can get a total story in 45 minutes or an hour and it's always out there it's not this clip that hits the news you see it for a second few minutes and it goes away and I think that's where I got that that thought which was 
it's delivered as a story. You're trying to create an arc of this particular disappearance or this cold case. Right. Whereas on the news, they got to hit you right away with the salacious. And then there'll be something at the end. There's no arc of a story there. That speaks a lot to listeners, I think. And oftentimes there's not even a story to be told. You know, there's a crime that happens. Then you get all this information about the offender and then the news story goes away. I mean, you think about the Uvalde, Uvalde shooting. We're still not hearing victim stories, right? We're hearing about police issues. We're hearing, you know, about offenders. And and I think, you know, I'm just thinking about this now, but uh, off of what you said, maybe that's part of the attractiveness too, right? Is that you do have this primarily victim-centered narrative with empathy. That's really important. There was this video that was produced by a news outlet here in, in New England not that long ago. And we work with the nonprofit Private Investigations for the Missing that was founded by uh, Bruce Maitland, whose daughter went missing. And the video was about Brianna, how she went missing, but it was also about the nonprofit and mentioned that Bruce had founded this nonprofit. But it didn't mention the specific name of the nonprofit in the video, and it didn't link to it in the article. And I I was right. so angry about that because right. I didn't understand it. You're talking about this. Like I couldn't right. imagine not mentioning the name of private investigations for the or anything that we're you right. know, talking about. It's like having a conversation with you and just not mentioning Colorado, University of Colorado, right, right. Denver. Not putting the link to the survey. Yeah. Or, or Milo. Or, you know, or Milo. Yeah, just leave Milo. Milo out. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Milo. Great point, though. You just never get that resolution. You shouldn't have to go to Dateline, you know, and have an hour episode to feel like enough attention, you know, and, and you guys bring this up all the time. And so many podcasters bring it up all the time that even those stories that hit the news aren't necessarily the stories of people who face crime. You mentioned this um, before, Lance, who face crime all the time right? And are most affected by crime. And so bringing a voice to people who I think you talked about with Christopher Matrice Richardson, that case was important. It wasn't a case that would necessarily hit the news. It, it had to hit an investigative type of media, you know, podcasts in order to really get some kind of attention and then closure. That is one of those that needs that attention, you know, and that is something that podcasts can do the community that that podcasts, uh, you know, that, that it can sort of rally behind podcasts is is so, uh, I guess, heartwarming to me. I just I love that. I love that community. Yeah. So why do you think listeners get more relaxed? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the wine we're drinking when we <laughs> listen to you guys. I <laughs> yeah, I, I was introduced to podcasts probably, you know, like a lot of people were through Crime Junkie and Ashley Flowers. And I can just remember one night, I was sitting there having a glass of wine, listening to Ashley Flowers, and she said something to the effect, and I don't mean to be light with it, but she said, and then he slit her throat from ear to ear. And I thought, oh, Ashley's voice sounds so pretty. <laughs> I completely ignored like what, what she'd actually said. And so in the survey, we do have a, a question you know, where we ask them, is it the voice of the narrator? Do you listen for the voice of the narrator? And I, I do wonder kind of how the production value, including the voice, the soundtrack underneath, you know, the the Dateline in particular, you know, all their stories are produced in very similar ways and they interview very similar people. It's, it's kind of a script that's 
kind of placed on every, I'm not being critical of it, but kind of placed on every story and that comfort of that format. I wonder if that's not part of it too. I think you're right. I think there's something to that. We also heard that like in television, this is just an example, but like an episode that is a one-off, like say an episode of Snapped is watched more and is rewatched more than like a mini series about one person who went missing. I wish that was the other way around. I wish there's some way to switch that because the mini series about the one person, you know, is still like they're still missing. Like that case is not right. solved. You know, I wish that one was more focused on. But I think you're right in the template uh, of of what people kind of know what to expect. Oh, there's a condition to expect certain things. The stories are constructed in a really predictable way. And so that is pretty comforting. Yeah, I almost asked about that in the survey, you know, about the difference between episodic podcasts or long series podcasts and how that kind of shapes. But the survey was getting too long. We had to kind of cut some things. So that might be something in the focus groups we'll talk about. Because yeah, serial hit it big. And Undisclosed was big too, but you don't get that, you know, now that you've had the splash, you don't get that same audience for Undisclosed. And that's really where a lot of the real work, right, was and the truth of that case really kind of came out. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. You mentioned it earlier that it's not always all good. And what do you think about the negative side, the darker side of it? Because it can be a number of things. It can be creators who worked another job and had an interest in true crime and then their show took off and they've gone in a direction of they're now a famous person. I'm certainly not like thinking of a single person when I'm saying this. I'm not (laughs) giving a veiled uh, shade to anybody right right right. now, but there's a conception or even maybe it's a misconception or maybe there's a little bit of both, but people will see something like ObsessFest and say, well, these people, what they think they're famous? CrimeCon. And do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I responded to Tim and I said, I'm fangirling right now. I can't believe you actually contacted me. So um, I say that to him every morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I do know that there is there's also a little bit of issue with comedy being used in podcasts. If you look kind of on the discussion boards, that's something that some people either hate or they like. I think the Obsessed Network does it well in that they're really working with the shows that have already pulled together this information. It's not like they're using the victims to exploit them, right? So they're not laughing at the victims, they're laughing at the shows. I mean, I have read some of the criticisms about then things become more self-promotion. On Reddit in particular, you'll see that. I don't know. What do you think? How does the industry deal with that? How do you guys deal with that? I think that we're really coming to a place now, especially in true crime, because obviously if you're in the comedy genre, you do comedy. And it's just a matter of like what type of comedy is a particular taste for a listener. But with true crime, yeah, you always have that balance that you have to walk, that tightrope that you have to walk. Past year, there's been a lot of people holding others accountable for their behavior and whether it's ethical or not and working through, okay, is this person qualified to talk about something, respectful enough to talk about something, informed enough to talk about something that has affected many people's families? What's the saying? Like it'll all come out in the wash or something. Like it's all going to shake itself out or whatever the saying is, you know, those who can maintain a consistent level of accountability and Mm -hmm. responsibility and empathy will come out of this with a good show a good listener base, a good community. Yeah, I think so too. And those who aren't can hit the bricks. 
Take a hike. <laughs> Hit the skids. With your book. Take it with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with your bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's room for uh, for both styles. Um, as long as there's respect for the victims and the victims' families. I think that's really what it comes down to. When I get frustrated with a podcast, but these are also pretty egregious cases that you guys are looking at, right? They're exceptions, not the rule to, to most of these cases. But so I get frustrated sometimes when you have a podcaster that's really indignant about how a process has gone or how a sentence has gone, more kind of issues around prosecute aggressive prosecution, you know, and I, sometimes I do feel like I don't think you'd be siding with the prosecution all the time if, if you knew what some of the abuses were, right, in prosecution. I'm not saying that people, that podcasters are ignorant. I think some people do this exceptionally well. Some people miss the nuance of the system and just kind of rail on the system. And again, the system has a lot of problems. I'm not defending it, but violent criminals are the least likely to reoffend. Sentencing a violent criminal for one instance of violence uh, to life in prison, not all criminologists would agree with me, but that's not necessarily a great use of public funds. They're not likely to commit a crime again. Yeah, it's more around like corrections and sentencing that I tend to get kind of frustrated with. It's okay if he only gets 15 years. I'm fine with 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) Throw away the key. Yeah, yeah. 15's good. Yeah. (laughs) So how are you promoting this survey? I went to Obsessed Fest, talked to a lot of you guys at Obsessed Fest. My student in Hall, who's great, she's all over because she's so much younger than I am. She's all over social media and has been on Discord and fan sites and Reddit. And right now we have we've had great cooperation with the Morbid Reddit board. They've just been phenomenal. They helped us with the pretest and they're helping us now. So we're trying to hit Facebook pages and just trying to network through social media and get people to pass along the survey link to other people that they that they know. It was uh, amazing to meet you. And I just remember thinking, and maybe I said it when you explained what you're doing, that it's really important and honestly, like about time that somebody as accredited as you, why'd you make that face? I'm not accredited. <laughs> Oh, stop. In our I'm book, curious. I'm just curious. <laughs> You're too humble. But it's important. Those are all questions that we've all asked amongst ourselves, as well as listeners asking us, even about themselves. I don't understand why it comforts me to pop in the earbuds at night and listen to you right. talk about someone's disappearance. Is there something wrong with me? Right. And we're like, as long as you buy the sponsorship that we're sponsoring <laughs> for that episode, there's nothing wrong with you. And I got a book coming out. Yes. And I got a book coming out. <laughs> No, I I really do think, again, I mean, this is personal. This isn't related to the study. You all really don't realize, I think, the relationships you have with your audiences. And I didn't realize what a small, wonderful community of creators that you all really have until Obsessed Fest. And that was really kind of the, the joy of it is to see this relationships, you know, to see people in real places and to see how much you all cared and how much your audience cares about you. I do. I just think it's a wonderful way to talk about really hard things and really difficult things. And so you're out there supporting people. I I just hope you know that, you know, while clearly from Obsessed Fest, people are supporting you too, right? Thank you. That that means a lot. And uh, yeah, you know what, Obsessed Fest and and CrimeCon and things like that, when we actually go out, get outside of uh, our computer screens you know you actually feel that but like the other 360 days of the year like 
you don't, which is kind of a weird, <laughs> a weird thing. But uh, so I really do appreciate hearing that. People really are. They're they're driving to work and you're their company. They're waiting for kids to get off the bus and you're the people that are that they're choosing to spend time with for good reason, for a good end, right? To, to help victims, to help people find closure, to help people learn to protect themselves, right? Uh, so it's it's really great thing that you all are doing. And I, I know I personally appreciate it. What you're saying there about helping people learn how to protect themselves, that's part of your survey as well. And you mentioned it before. There's something that people are trying to figure out as far as like the line between being paranoid and being aware of their surroundings. Right. And right. I think by listening and hearing other people's stories, that helps them to understand that it's not always the case when people say, well, that's probably not going to happen to me, but it does happen to somebody. Right. When is it going to be you or would it ever be, you know, so you do have to be aware of your surroundings, whether you say take a self-defense class or you carry mace or something like that. That doesn't make you paranoid. Right. Don't think that you're being paranoid because right. the alternative is you are that person and right. you will later say, man, I thought that would never happen to me. Yeah, I had a um, friend I used to teach at a college in Texas and she studied homicide in Texas. And she would say all the time that your risk of actually being murdered is amazingly low, but it only has to happen to you once um, that it's it's still a problem. Right. That it's still something that really, really impacts not just your life, but the life of families and, and all this. So even if the risk is low, if it happens to you or someone in your family, it's one of the defining moments of your entire life. So yeah, it is really important to stay to stay vigilant. And we will post the link to take this survey in our show notes and on social media. But is there anywhere else that people can go to learn about this or to learn about UC Denver? ucdenver.edu. I am in the college, the criminal justice program is in the College of the School of Public Affairs. So you can search for SPA at, C, at CU Denver and find a link to my bio if you're interested. I'm going to have one of our staff members put a link to the survey in my bio. So that should be up within the next, well, after Thanksgiving, it'll be up. But the survey is going to be open. We're going to at least have it open probably through a couple weeks in January to give people past the holidays. This is about one of the worst times ever to try and publish a survey and get data collection because everyone's so busy. So we're probably just going to extend it into January. So there'll be time for, for people to, to come along and, and post. And I might email you guys to push out a reminder again. Whenever uh, an ad goes out, um, you see a big spike in responses and then it drops. And so we'll probably be harassing you repeatedly for a while. <laughs> Feel <Yeah>. free. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as far you. as harassment goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Appropriate <laughs> harassment. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us oh, here today. Oh, thanks for having me. You guys are so fun. This has been thank great. You. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. When is your survey going to come out on reasons why you love Patrick Hines? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I do love Patrick Hines. Yeah. Although Joey, I'm telling you, Joey's eyes, those eyes will make you melt. So now I'm, now I'm falling for Joey. Yeah. <laughs>
Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.